Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. You might think of this podcast as a Think Right podcast, where we're going to be talking about girding up the loins of your mind, being sober, hope to the end. Next week, we're going to be talking about verses 14 through 16, where we'll be talking about live right. And I got to tell you, this, this podcast, this subject matter, this Bible study, it's coming at a good time for me. Over the past couple of days, my mind has been caught up on things of the world. Uh, I, I want to so heavily get beyond that. My family, we were planning on a trip. We were going to visit with my wife's family, and we we're going to meet up on the road with a brother and sister in Christ, Serge and Nancy. Uh, we were going to meet up with them as they were going to travel to meet us, and I was looking very forward to uh, all of that, seeing people that we haven't seen in a great number of years. And, you know, here's the funny thing. As you know, I live on the border of the United States and Mexico in El Paso, Texas. And here in El Paso, we have 1,200 right now, currently, uh, they know of over 1,200 people a day illegally being released into the country here in this city. Uh, our very liberal uh, politicians are taking taxpayer money and, and, and throwing it at all of this, buying a, a middle school to house immigrants. Hey, not, not only to house illegal immigrants, but, but, but on top of that, uh, they're going to also use the middle school to put uh, dogs and such in their shelter animals because our animal shelter is being overrun, but they're doing this for the mental health of people that are breaking the law. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up, right? Keith Hawkins, because one of Keith Hawkins' statements, right? You just can't make this stuff up. It's insane. Well, we were thinking that we were going to travel and we were going to be getting away from the border crisis. Turns out small town USA that we're going to be traveling to is kind of overrun with illegal immigrants right now. And they're doing all kinds of crazy things because they're able to get driver's license, but they're not taking driving tests. They can't speak, read English. They don't have driving experience. They don't understand the laws. They don't understand how to drive. And then even some that do, it was crazy. The stuff I've seen, look, it's just crazy. It's insane. I, I got to tell you, it's worse for them and small town USA than it is for us here on the border. Because at least the area that I live in is city of El Paso is massive and it's a huge area. So there's areas of town where you can go where you don't see it. Like the Walmart that I shop at, there's a few things that are locked up, um, but very few. Um, I think mainly in the cosmetic department. Nothing else that, that like, if I want to buy deodorant, I can just go buy deodorant. This small town USA in the Midwest, they're locking up deodorant because of the stuff that's going on in that town. So we just decided, you know what, with all of that going on with uh, my wife's health and, and of course my daughter being mentally retarded, that it wasn't, wasn't wise to travel from bad to worse and to be beyond the comfort and safety of our home and to be in other areas of the country where, you know, you know, you know things are going on, but folks, Things are going on a lot worse than, than you can imagine. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just shell-shocked by some of the stuff that I heard listening to a, 
a city council meeting in uh, Springfield, Ohio. Uh, shocked to hear some of the things that were going on there. Just shocked, just amazed. So to be able to open the Bible, to be able to talk about God's Word, to be able to think about this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world in John 18, 36. This is what I love, okay? God has set the terms of kingdom citizenship. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Him, John 14 and verse 6. There will be no illegals in heaven. None. You cannot break God's law and still get in. You can't do anything. You, you know, you, you can't make some kind of claim or, or falsify information or find a hole in a wall or anything else. Jesus' answer is, I know you not. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So I find great comfort that I will spend eternity with rule keepers instead of rule breakers. The Bible gives us that comfort, and it matters. Our mindsets matter. When I sit down to do this podcast, I am thankful because I'm going to be thinking about spiritual things. And why does that matter? It's not that we need to be unaware of the world. We need to be aware of the world to a degree, but we can't get caught up in it. You know, the evangelist Timothy was told by Paul not to entangle himself with the affairs of this world that he might please him who had chosen him to be a soldier in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. We can be aware, but we can't get caught up. We got to be able to clear our minds. The Bible gives us that opportunity. I want you to watch this happen as we talk about the very subject matter itself and why it matters. Let's start with why it matters. What your mind is set upon matters. I want you to think, if I spent however long this podcast is going to be firing you up about illegal immigrants and what they're doing to America, where would your mind be? Now, here's why it's important. Because if your mind goes totally carnal, from a point of awareness to entanglement, Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you hear that? Is this world worth losing your soul over? How about getting caught up in the things of the world? Whatever it is in this world, you know, again, we live in the ungodly states of America, if you're listening from America. For those of you in Australia, for those of you in Russia that listen to this podcast, for those of you in, in Africa that are listening to the podcast, for those of you in Europe that are listening to the podcast, you have issues that I'm not aware of. But this is something that I know, no matter what continent you live on, the world is evil, 1 John 5, 19. So while you may not be facing the things that we face, or you may be, but just in different areas and different ways, we are all facing this, an evil world. We can't get caught up in that. And Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, put off the concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Now notice this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That new man, that new person has to be looking forward to heaven. Well, the thing about getting caught up in the world is you're not looking forward anymore. You're being caught up. Allow the corruption that's in the world to fuel 
you even greater to look forward to eternal life where none of those things will be. Where in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's wonderful. It helps us overcome things to think whatever it is, whatever you're facing, physical ailments, corrupt governments, unlawful living in society, ungodliness in society, different things that we are all facing no matter what continent we're on, that there's a Lord above, a heavenly kingdom. If I'm obeying Him, I have my citizenship there, Philippians 3.20. My conversation, my citizenship is there. The mindset of the world doesn't need to be part of me. In Colossians 1, 21 and 22, you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. For those of us that were part of this evil world and have been converted out of it, have been taken from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom, Colossians 1 verse 13, just earlier in that context from which I just read, we were part of the evil. Now we have come out of that evil. We don't need to be part of it anymore. We don't need to go back to, to find our roots. Our roots are in heaven. And it matters because our mindset matters, because our mindset's going to fuel our actions. Actions start from within. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says, For a good tree uh, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns... Men do not gather figs, nor a bramble bush gather their grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. It comes from within. So what we're thinking is going to fuel our actions. What if we allow anger and rage to build up, and, and we get so angry, or, or whatever it is, full of lust, Whatever, I, I'm thinking of, of what's on my mind now. Well, this is what I know about anger and wrath. You know, the Lord tells me in James 1, 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. This is what I know. If I dwell on things of the world, I'm going to be angry and I'm not going to produce righteousness because it's from within that we act. And that matters Evil starts within. And Micah 2, 1 and 2, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, every man and his heritage. So we got to worry about what's going on inside of us. We've got to be looking forward instead of around, right? It's, it's, it's like... The person who's driving down a road and they're sightseeing and sightseeing and sightseeing and bam, they run into somebody in front of them because they didn't recognize that that person had put on their brakes. Why didn't they recognize it? Because they were looking everywhere but forward. Christians need to be forward looking. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Consider Jesus being the goal setter his mindset. In John 4, 31 through 34, and he had talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. It's before she comes back with other people. 
It says, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is due to the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Think about Jesus' mindset. I've got a job to do. I'm going to stay busy in doing that job. You know, one of the things that we in and the culture of the world today have that gets us in trouble is we have too much time. We have too much time. You know, in ancient times, people would get up in the morning and just like animals of the wild, they need to think about securing their food for the day, their water for the day. Instead of automatic washing machines and automatic dryers, instead of refrigerators and freezers, and instead of going to the market and getting things, they had to go out and work for their food. They were busy all day long. Women were busy doing the task of taking care of the children, the house, and everything else in ways that people just are not today. I mean, one of the things that a woman was to do if she was a widow, uh, unless she be idle and wander about from house to house, becoming a tattler and a busybody, in 1 Timothy 5.13, she was to get married bear children, guide the house, and give none, none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. I believe that's 1 Timothy 5, 3, 13 and 14. Well, think about that. Stay busy. Well, we live in a world where there's too much idleness, right? Where people have too much time to think and to get caught up in everything else. The evidence of that is social media, where people are involved in everybody else's life. Too much time on their hands. Uh, I was at Walmart the other day, and my wife and I are noticing all these people that are sitting in the parking lot, and they're 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 waiting for uh, apparently their groceries to be brought out to their vehicle. I mean, there was a great number of vehicles. I, I counted. I can't remember how it was. That was quite a bit. And as I'm looking at these people sitting in their vehicles, they all had one thing in common, without any exception to everybody that I could see, they were all on their phones. What do you think they're doing on their phones? What do you think? YouTube or Facebook, or, and I'm not saying these things are evil, but they put your mind on what? Carnal things. TikTok and all this other stuff. I'm not saying it's evil, and I'm not saying you can't have time for leisure. Don't, don't stake me out as being the preacher that says don't have entertainment. Not at all. Not at all. Not that guy but maybe too much. You have to evaluate that in your life. Where's it put in your mind? It, are, are, are you thinking about finishing your life as a faithful Christian? Or are you caught up in where so-and-so went on vacation? Or learning this new lyric? Or checking out this cool new thing? Or grabbing those new kicks? I mean, I'm trying to hit multiple age groups here, right? Well, Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, thinking of him, Wherefore, seeing we are passed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, this is after the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith, so to speak. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the rates that set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Think about what Jesus did right? Look at him. He went forward. He put aside everything that weighed him down. 
Are there things that are weighing you down? And not just in action, but in thought, because thought is the beginning of your action. How about being goal-minded? In Hebrews chapter 10, 35 through 39, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that, and that word means endurance, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Think about the Hebrew writer trying to motivate the people that he's writing to, to be people that endure, looking forward to the promise, understanding that you're living by faith, not by things of the world. With that in mind, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the context of the first 12 verses, if you'll recall, and if you haven't listened to these, you should go back and listen to all these in order, okay? Because they build one upon another as a contextual series of lessons. But in the first 12 verses, it's talking about the hope that comes in the resurrection. The hope, like we talked about in last week's podcast, that the angels and the prophets desired to look into and still didn't understand. So in light of that living, lively hope of salvation that's to come at the end, gird up. So what, what's it mean? The girding up of the mind is the contextual point of verse 13. But when we before we even get into you know the loins aspect of the mind and think about it as it pertains to mind, just thinking about girding up the loins. It's the idea of buckling up like you would a garment, like putting on a belt, right? In 2 Kings 4.29, he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. If the idea is get dressed, buckle up your pants. Second Kings 9.1, Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophet said to him, gird up thy loins, take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. The idea is put on your pants, buckle them, right? Buckling up the garment to a degree, uh, securing it, making it tight. It's also used figuratively. Where in Job 38, Job is, is being kind of corrected. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Like, man up. Job 14 verse 7. Gird up the loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Man up. So it's used figuratively. It's used physically, putting on your garments and securing them. Or securing something upon your belt where in 1 Samuel 25, 13, David said to his men, gird ye up every man his sword. They gird on every man his sword. And David also gird on his sword. And they went up after David, about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. So, you know, gird it up, secure it. So let's think about it. Gird up the loins of your mind. It's like buckling up your mind, securing it like you would a belt around your hips or around your midsection. Get your thoughts secure. And again, it matters. It matters greatly. In Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Securing your mind, staying your mind, putting it where it needs to be. The Greek word that is translated mind is something like dianoia. And it's defined as the faculty of understanding or feeling, desiring, 
mind or spirit of thinking and feeling, thoughts, either good or bad. So gird up your understanding, gird up your thoughts, secure your thoughts, secure your mind. Think about that. Buckle them on so they don't fall down. Like you've got to gain control. Isn't that what that's really telling us? Like gather your thoughts up, gather your thoughts up. And if you do a, a word study on that Greek term, it's Strong's number 1271 that's translated mind there. Again, dianoia or something along that, dian, dianoia. Uh, it, it's most often translated mind or minds in so many different verses. I give you a few, like in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said in him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So yeah, I, the idea is the mind there, I love from it. And Mark 12, 30 is parallel to that uh, with thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So my understanding, my thoughts, I love the Lord with my understanding. I love the Lord with my thoughts. So if I'm going to love him, I need to secure that. I need to, to gather that. I need to put it on. In Luke 10, 27, where Jesus asked the question, he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind and thy neighbor is thyself. In Ephesians 2, 3, talking to the Gentiles here that are converted, we've referred to this text in previous podcasts in our study of 1 Peter. Ephesians 2, 3 says, among whom also we had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where by nature the children of wrath, even there's others. This verse gives us a great kind of commentary, and it fits everything we've been talking about so much the mind is not only where I love from, but it's where I desire from. So I need to secure, I need to grab hold of my desires because they start in my mind. They start in my understanding. In Hebrews 8 and verse 10, quoting out of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind Write them upon their hearts, and I will be unto them a God, and they shall be unto me a people. So the law of God is where we store, uh, is, is stored in our minds and in our thinking and our understanding. I've got to secure that. I've got to hold on to that. I can't allow all the chaos of the world, the temptations of the world, the carnality of the world to distract me. And Hebrews 10, 16, again, just like Hebrews 8 and verse 10, uh, same, same reference back in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and their minds will I write them. And then in 2 Peter 3 and verse 1, where Peter says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So when you're looking at how that word is used uh, and it's translated either mind or minds in all those verses, they each teach us a, a lesson about what our mind does. It's also translated imagination in Luke 1, 51. He has showed strength with his army, has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So it's what my thinking in my heart, okay? It's also translated understanding in multiple verses. Ephesians 1, 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is. This is, I understand things in my mind, so why is it important to gather my thoughts? Because if I let them loose, I have no understanding. In Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened. Think about it. If I'm not gathering my, my thoughts, right, they, then my understanding becomes obscured. The text goes on being alienated from the life of them through the ignorance of them because of the blindness of their hearts. So don't be like the Gentiles in the past that have their understanding darkened. 
gather it together. You, you've got, you've got, you've been enlightened. You know, the scriptures gather it, hold it together. Keep your thoughts secured. First John 5 20. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, where in Him that is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. It's like David saying, secure your sword. How about secure your understanding? Your understanding of eternal life, which our Lord gives us, right? It's important to gather your thoughts. What happens when people do things like express conviction? assureness where it sounds like they've girded up the loins of their mind, but then you find out that they still have doubts. Think about the disciples. In John 6, 66 through 69, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, we also go away. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, son of the living God. Now, I want you to follow me here, okay? At this moment, Peter speaking for the remaining, uh, uh, the remainders, the remaining disciples, and, and the apostles included in that, we are sure that thou art the Christ. Sure, okay? Well, you know what, Peter? You better secure that. You better hold on to that. What happens when you don't hold on to that? In John 16, 30 through 32, they said, now we are sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man shall ask thee. By this, we believe that thou camest from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, the day is now come, that ye be scattered. Every man to his own, you shall leave me alone. Yet I'm alone because my father's with me. Huh, what, right? Well, Jesus knows what they're gonna do. What if they would have girded up the loins of their mind? What if they would have secured that sure conviction when we look at what happened after Jesus was dead, buried, and after he was risen and appeared under the 11 because Judas, Judas is dead at that time, you know what? They worshiped him, Matthew 28, 17. You know what the rest of that verse says? But some doubted. You know who that was? The apostles. They should have girded up the loins of, your, of their minds. Uh, and, and how's this all fit together? Doubt. And girding up the Lord of your mind, Luke 12, 29. Seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Where do doubts come from? Come from the mind. So why is it important to secure your thoughts, your understanding, your mind, your way of thinking, your feelings, good or bad? Why, why do I have to secure them? Because if I don't, doubts will arise. What will happen? When, when, when Jesus comes, I won't be prepared because I'm like those that scattered. I've got to, I've got to secure my thinking. In Proverbs 19.8, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. Do a word study on keepeth. You'll find that it means guard, protect, secure. That's the point of girding up the loins of your mind. Guard, protect, secure. Your thoughts, your understanding, your feelings, your way of thinking, your desires, secure them, secure them. Be sober. Think about how that ties to the mind. Be sober is going to, the, the, the same Greek word is going to appear uh, later in this epistle. It's Strong's number 3525. Uh, and, and that word 
uh, is going to appear in 1 Peter 4, 7. You want to know what is translated there? Listen. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober. That's it, right? Sober? No. It's, it's not the same Greek word. The same Greek word here is next and watch unto prayer. Isn't that fascinating? That be sober is later, same Greek word, translated differently as watch. I always pay attention to that when I'm doing uh, word studies and I'm looking at the way translators translated uh, words and thinking about uh, those those words, looking at how they're used in different places and how they're translated in different places. Well, the translation of that word, fascinating, right? Fascinating to me. Uh, the English word sober, it's really an excellent word because it's about clear thinking. It's about awareness. And it ties together watching later in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking to whom he may devour. Fascinating. It's interesting. The definition of the word from Thayer's Greek to English lexicon, again, Strong's number 3525, is to be sober, to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. Strong's dictionary says of an uncertain affinity to abstain from wine, keep sober. That is figuratively, be discreet, be sober, watch. Fascinating definitions, right? Fascinating definitions uh, that are there. The word is used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. See how it ties those together? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Let us who are of the day be sober, translated again there, just like in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 5, as sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Timothy was told by Paul to be sober, but notice how it's translated in the King James Version, but watch. Same Greek word translated there, watch. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make foolproof of thy ministry. And then the three other times that that Greek word is used in the New Testament, we've already covered. It's 1 Peter 1, 13, 4, 7, and 5, 8. Uh, so you get the, the idea that, that's very much there, to be calm, to be collected in spirit. Just think about that definition, to be collected, yeah, to gird up, right? To tighten, be circumspectful. We do not want to be people who are troubled in mind. And 2 Thessalonians 2 1 and 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together in him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that, that day of Christ is at hand. Paul, uh, Timothy, Silvanus, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. If I'm troubled, my thoughts aren't secured. I, I've got to let that go. I've got to get away with it. Even, even these saints that are facing persecution. In 1 Peter 3.14, same letter that we're studying from. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, happier and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 
You don't want to get shaken. You don't want your mindset to go away. What happens when you start to get fearful and troubled and everything else? James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you're a sports fan and, you know, it's football season, you're going to hear some football analogies from me from time to time because I like football and, it, and, and it's a good competitive sport. You may not like football at all. You know what? Uh, I can't help you there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I enjoy watching football games on the collegiate level, the pro level. And one of the things that a defense tries to do to a quarterback, the guy that's throwing the ball to his receivers, is they try to trouble him. They try to pressure him because if they can get pressure on the quarterback, he's going to make unwise decisions offensively with the ball. And he's going to, to put his team in jeopardy because he's not clear in thought. He's worried about, you know, this guy over here that he's going to hit me on my blind side or, you know, I'm not getting good blocking. These things are happening. My receiver's dropping the ball. This defender over here is just very difficult to act against. And, and, and the same is true if you're a soccer fan, a hockey fan, whatever the case may be. If you're not a fan of, of any of those things, whatever it is in life, from piling an airplane, driving a car, baking cookies. People that are full of instability make bad decisions. So whatever might cause you to be unstable is dangerous. We had talked about uh, two verses from the context of 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's look at that in context, verses 1 through 10. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, Ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You're all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the dark, nor, nor not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night are they that be drunken and are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of eternal, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed unto us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. This is great commentary on 1 Peter 1.13. Think clearly. Have your mind where it needs to be. Be calm and collected. Watch for Christ to come. Be ready when he comes. So that day doesn't come upon you and you not be prepared. Being on guard. Being on watch. Being able to think clearly. And about various things, right? Not just the hope of, e of eternal life and not just the judgment day, but in different areas about having an awareness. In Luke chapter 21, for example, verses 34 through 38, Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves, lest any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that they, they come upon you unawares. For a snare shall it come on all that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and bowed in the mount that is called Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him, morning in the temple for to hear him. So if you're listening to Jesus, 
whatever it is, whether you're talking about one of the problems that faced people in the first century that was coming that Jesus prophesied about was the destruction of Jerusalem. You know this day is coming. Watch for things that are going on. Be aware. So it's, it's like you need to have an awareness of the world around about you, but it has to be a focused awareness. Not that you're just worried about the carnal side, but you're not allowing the carnal side to overtake you from the spiritual. The elders in Ephesus, in an entire different direction, are being told to watch. Well, watch for what? In Acts 20, 28-31, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here it's an awareness about false brethren that are going to come in and draw away disciples after them. In the first century, they were creeping in among the saints unawares. Jude verse 4. Well, these people that Peter are addressing are scattered Christians that are under attack. We have been talking about this, right? Part of the reason that the hope of eternal life is so important to think about is that you're going to get away from these things. Well, they're scattered into Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. They're facing all types of things in verses 6 and 7 says, ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tribe of fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So they're scattered. They're facing persecution. First Peter 4.12 says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, is that some strange thing happened to you? More to come, even than what they were already facing. So be prepared, be aware, understand that you're on a battlefield. But here it is, folks, here it is. Not a carnal one, not a carnal one. Even though the things that Christians may face in this world might bring about physical consequences to us. Maybe, you know, recently heard about a congregation that once all the members uh, enter into the facility for worship, they're locking the door. That's a shame. In America, a place where saints are gathering to assemble, you're locking the door. You don't want people to come in. That's sad. Well, what do you do about that? Well, thankfully, they're being aware. You have to be aware of threats that are around about you, physical and spiritual, but you don't react in the spiritual, I mean, in the physical, right? Sorry about that. You don't react with physical weaponry, with the attack in the physical mentality. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds. We live in a carnal world under physical attack, but we don't respond in like manner. Our weaponry, our armor, armor is all spiritual. I would guess you know this. If you're listening to this podcast, you, this is probably not the first time you've opened your Bible. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Did you hear that? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we're not standing outside abortion clinics with physical weaponry. We're not causing harm to buildings, property, and people. No, we're taking the gospel, and we're trying to fight evil by converting people to Christ trying to take them from darkness to light. We're not going out there and standing on the border of the United States of America with sniper rifles. We're standing with the gospel, saying you cannot get to heaven by breaking the laws of men, Romans 13, 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. What you're doing is carnally and spiritually wrong and will result in the damnation of your soul. Our weaponry is not carnal. We can't allow our minds to go there. We do have to understand we're at war. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commend unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. Are we fighting a clean battle? Are we fighting the world of fornication? by going out and, and killing harlots, by going out and destroying people that have divorced their spouses for reasons other than fornication, all these. No, we're fighting it with the gospel. We're telling people you can't live that way and be saved. You're going to lose your soul. We're in the war with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We're fighting. Yes, I hope you're in the fight. I'm fighting. Are you fighting? Are you living? Are you letting your light shine in this world? Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Are you doing that? Are you letting people see godliness in a world where it is so hard to find? In 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Are you fighting the fight by saying, I'm going to vote for this worldly person over this worldly person? Or are you exposing the darkness behind both worldly persons? How are you fighting the fight? I, I'm not saying don't vote, but and, and I'm not getting into a, a political side of this. Um, there's not a politician in this world that I'm aware of that's anywhere near a godly person, so I'm not endorsing anybody. The way we are going to change the world is through the gospel. And just so you know, the world's not going to change. We're fighting a losing battle. We're not just the underdog. Our Lord tells us, few there will that will be saved, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. So I'm not in some kind of dream or fantasy where I think I'm going to go out there with the word of God and cause everything that's wrong in the world to go, to go by the wayside. I know that's not going to happen. But my Lord tells me to keep fighting. So I'm going to die sword in hand. That's what I'm going to do. 
with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And that's what you need to do. Your hope can't be physical, carnal, or worldly. Think about the context that we're talking about. Think about 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 that we've already done a study of, right? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Think about 1 Peter 1, 9 that we've already studied, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Our hope is not something in this world. It's in the life to come. It is eternal life. And when we're telling people about the gospel, we don't want to sell them on some idea that there's going to be world peace because there's not going to be world peace. Come back and listen to Tuesday's podcast. We need to tell them that the peace to come is in the end. And it ties together because when I understand that, when you understand that, then we are soberly looking for Christ to come back. I want you to hear Matthew chapter 24, verses 35 through the end of the chapter, verse 51. And this is important. It's significant. Uh, Jesus had just got done talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He then says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So I want you to think about this. Think about this. He's telling them about what's going to happen in their generation that there is going to be evil, wars, rumors of wars, false Christ, false prophets, all kinds of terrible things. And from telling them about what's going to happen in the world and their lifetime, he then presses into, from verse 35 all the way through verse 46 of the next chapter, and I'm not going to read all of that to you, but we're going to get, a, a, get some of it. He's telling them what to look forward to. So listen. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that there were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the, that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. That's because... The dead in Christ rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Then we which are alive. So this tells us then the ungodly after that, right? Two women grinding at the mill, one taking the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. So what's this about? Looking, looking, being aware, watchful, hoping to the end for the grace that is to come, looking forward. He then goes on, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come. He would have watched, would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware shall cut him asunder and appoint with him the portion with the hypocrites. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's about be aware of this. Jesus is coming. 
And he's coming at a, at a time that you're not watching for, you're not aware of. It, it's, you got to be aware. You, you got to think. You got to look forward to. What happens if I'm not prepared? Right, if you just kept reading into the next chapter, right from Matthew 24, 51 that I left off on, notice what Jesus does in talking about preparation in the next 13 verses. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then shall the, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Very last unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. So what are you watching for? Now, if you're caught up in all the things of the world, you're not thinking about the return of Christ. You're not girding up the loins of your mind and looking forward. You're getting caught up in the affairs of this life. That's the distraction you don't need. Because then Jesus comes, and whatever it is that you're facing, physical illness, high taxation, criminals everywhere, high prices everywhere, maybe, maybe you're facing temptations, maybe people are throwing things at you to cause you to do this or to cause you to do that, Maybe you're facing workplace drama. Maybe you're facing a family drama. And all these things got you distracted. Then the trumpet of the Lord sounds and you say, oh no. <gasps> you know what? That moment is too late. Be sober. Be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind. Hope to the end for the grace that's to be wrought when Christ returns. At the revelation of Christ. Think about this. When people talk about grace, I, I, I just simply don't get how people define grace like it's some simple subject matter. And they just say, ah, oh, grace, unmerited favor. That's not true. 2 Peter 3.18, for example, tells you to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you grow in unmerited favor, right? That could be part of a definition of a word, but it is definitely not the meaning. For example... And Titus 2, 11 through 13, think about how all that I just said ties together. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Now, we've already studied salvation is to come at the end. I just read that a few minutes ago in 1 Peter 1, 9. So the grace of God brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What's teaching us? The grace of God is teaching us. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about looking forward. It's about hope through grace. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16, 
We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by our word or epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Yes, our hope is through grace. The grace that came into this world that brought salvation. The grace that teaches us to live right. That'll tie into next week's lesson. With all the suffering, when we think about these Christians that are being addressed, with all the suffering they're going through, 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice as much as your partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. It's you're going through it now, but look forward. Look forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look forward to His return. That's it. Look forward. Whew, wonderful. Gather your thoughts. Be clear. Hope for the end. To the revelation, to the grace that Jesus brings. That ties into what we're going to talk about next. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust and your ignorance, but as he which is holy, he which called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Look forward, think right, and then like we talked about earlier at the beginning of this lesson, live right. And they tie together, because gathering my thoughts and thinking right is going to move me to act right. Awesome stuff, folks. Awesome stuff. Love this podcast. Like I began saying, these are the things that help me get through all the frustrations of this world. I love God, not, not only for salvation, but these scriptures are the absolute best thing you can go to whenever you are facing any kind of mental distractions. They get you back on point. They, they make everything that's going on in the world, no matter how terrible it is, whatever's going on in your personal life, they put it in perspective. Now, whatever that is, hey, it's temporary. Thanks be to God that that which is eternal is still in front of me. And no matter how bad things get, I can look forward. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about Tuesday's podcast is peace. And I'll leave it, I'll leave that alone for you to listen to that podcast. That definitely is good thought processes to tie to this. We need to gather our thoughts, can't let them be scattered, can't be unfocused, just like driving a car or anything else. If we're unfocused, we're gonna veer. We're gonna fear. Gotta keep our eyes forward, our eyes on the prize. Well, maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, but I'm not even sure if I'm going to be saved. Well, hey. Call me up. We need to have Bible study. We need to talk about how you can know and how you can get right if you're not right. My phone number is 915-525-5794. You can visit the www.wordsoftruth.net website. You can contact me through there, but, but let's talk. The Word of God has the answers to your problems. And whatever it is you're going through in this world, we can bring it into perspective because it's temporary. Eternity never ends 
the worst things that ever could happen in this world, they come to an end. It's over. Eternity doesn't. Let's focus on the big picture because it's so far that you can't see the end. Eternal life. That which the prophets, like we talked about last week, and the angels desire to look into, we have that hope in through Christ Jesus. We can look forward to His return. That can keep us focused from all the distraction this world would throw at us. Hope this lesson has been thought-provoking for you. If you're a Christian and you're living in this world, you know, one of my sisters in Christ sent me a text message while I'm recording this podcast. She said, football players out for the season. You know, all these things that, that we get, man, wow. You know, if, that, if I could talk to Trayvon Diggs of the Dallas Cowboys, I would tell him, hey, man, listen, time and chance happens to us all. Ecclesiastes 9-11. Funny thing is, two, two, two uh, text messages while I'm recording this podcast, Keith Hawkins and, and my sister Sheila here, Dallas Cowboy fans, one of the best players on the team's out for the season. You know, if I could talk to him, I would tell him, hey, look, this is why your focus shouldn't have been on football. Because it's temporary. You know what's not? Your soul. And the hope that we have, the goal, the prize, you can't tear anything. That's going to cause you to lose eternal life if you live faithfully to the Lord. Hope it's been beneficial. Thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, that podcast will be up on Tuesday. I hope you'll tune back in to listen. Until then, I will say goodbye and thank you.